Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. Well, charges of stealing elections have been all too common in the U.S., especially over the last decade, and went into super hyperdrive in 2020. But despite what the headlines say and the pundits proclaim, is there something something really simple we can do to begin to restore trust in our elections? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Uh, we're very pleased to have joining us on the show today, David Levine, who's the Elections Integrity Fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy in Washington, D.C. He has observed elections in uh, several countries. Uh, was previously the Elections Director for Ada County, just to the north of us, up in Idaho. And, uh, David, thanks for coming back on the program with us. Boy, thanks for having me. So uh, you've you've watched a lot of elections and uh, you've you've really got some solutions that seem both common sense and pretty simple in terms of restoring uh, that confidence in the election system. Uh, let's start with where we are uh, with some context of really the last decade and especially in 2020. Sure. Yeah, you know, boy, I think it's it's worth noting that that while you know the 2020 election was called the most secure ever conducted in the United States by by representatives with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, right? The confidence in the presidential election results remains strongly divided, uh, and bad actors, bad faith actors, continue to try and find fertile ground for their efforts to undermine trust in U.S. elections. And you know, unfortunately, in the aftermath of 2020, we've seen um, deficient and potentially dangerous post-election reviews of the 2020 election in places like Arizona. Um, we've also seen uh, leaks of election and te- uh, technology by rogue election administrators in places like Mesa County, Colorado, that have made our election infrastructure more vulnerable. And of course, we have significant numbers of experienced election officials that are resigning in response to violent threats, ongoing harassment, and abuse. And so, you know, things are in a things are in a, in, a, in a challenging spot right now in a variety of respects. Yeah, and so as you look at that, and again, the, the last one is the one that always strikes me, that uh, we do have a number of really experienced election officials who are stepping down uh, just because the pressure, the threats, the, the, the abuse, whether it's at their grocery store or the local PTA meeting, uh, is just not worth it. And so as you look at this from a, a nonpartisan uh, observation, uh, which I think is so critical, and, and, I, and I do just want to point out that I think it's very sad that both sides of the political 
political aisle have already been ratcheting up the rhetoric that if you don't win in 2022, it's because something is wrong or something is rigged. And both the left and the right uh, have been resorting to that. And so as you look at it from your unique perspective, again, from a nonpartisan perspective, what is it that we can actually do to begin to restoring trust in the process? Sure. So, you know, Boyd, one of the things that obviously earlier this week, my colleague Avery Davis Roberts from the Carter Center and I, I put out a report calling for more robust nonpartisan observation of elections. Um, you know, we have a history in this country of having partisan observation of elections, which is an important thing to do, right? Having um, representatives on behalf of candidates and their political parties observing the election process. Uh, and that's an important thing, but those folks, for understandable reasons, are, are really focused on making sure that their candidate or their political party isn't disadvantaged. And so they have a particular eye toward any issues they see that could hurt or help their candidate. And what we're, what we call for in this paper is to have equal numbers of and equal access for nonpartisan observers. And those are the people whose central focus is making sure that the election is administered properly and fairly, right, in accordance with local, state, and federal laws. Um, you know, many of these people have did have have been election administrators themselves. Many of these people have observed elections either in the United States or, or around the world, such as me and Avery. Um, but you know, I think what's 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 really important is that these are folks who are who have the in many cases the experience um, and the expertise. Um, to be able to help ensure that elections are be condu being conducted on the straight and narrow. And, and I'll also add that I think, you know, part of this, you know, is really important for a few different reasons. You know, number one, having more nonpartisan observation could provide an additional opportunity for the public to learn more directly about the election process and give them greater faith that our elections are free and fair. Number one. And number two, right, it could check bad faith actors, right, those who are actively seeking to undermine confidence in U.S. elections through improper actions or baseless assertions about election rigging and malfeasance, no matter where those claims are coming from. And three, right, it can help provide actual evidence-based information to those on the front lines of elections as they strive to continually improve their election processes. Because while the 2020 election, I think, was conducted well, and certainly, you know, conducted very well when you think about all the challenges election officials faced, there's absolutely room for improvement. And election officials are always continuing to try and do better. And not these nonpartisan observers could be really helpful uh, in facilitating that, too. Yeah, so let's talk about those nonpartisan observers. So, you know, where, where do you find those? Uh, you, you mentioned uh, those that would have some experience uh, as well, making them uniquely qualified. And then how do you make sure that they stay in that nonpartisan space? You, you talked about the observers from the political parties. They have a definite interest uh, in that. How do you make sure that uh, that gets carried out properly? Sure. So, you know, one of the things we talk about in, in our in our report is is making sure that you have an accreditation process right before the election that you you know you ask people to go through, um, so that people are in many cases right applying to be observers, um, and they're and that if they want to be um, nonpartisan observers that they're indicating that and that they're being accepted and allowed to do so. You know, Avery and I have both observed elections, as you alluded to, all over the world. And in many countries, this is a more formal 
uniform process. Mm. Um, in many places in the United States, there is a more formal accreditation process where you apply to be an observer, whether it's you know a specific kind of observer, and then you're approved, and then you 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 know you can either observe for a particular candidate, or you may be able to be a nonpartisan observer, maybe mm. because you're an academic or you're working for an NGO. Um, you know, we hope and we would love to see right more states and localities have that kind of a sort of more formal process on the front end, right? Because that would help ensure right, that, that folks um, who are observing the election are both known about on the front end um, and, right, that they're, doing, that they're doing right by election administrators and others when they, in fact, observe on election day. The second thing that we touch on is not only, you know, do we cite a desire to have more nonpartisan observers, but we lay out in this report, right, what we think that means. And we give examples of organizations, right? Um, you know, for example, Avery's organization, the Carter Center, that's observed throughout the world and talked about the fact that many reputable organizations um, conduct trainings well ahead of the election so that they're familiar with the state election procedures um, and laws. And of course, in many cases, these entities are going to state and local election officials, poll worker trainings, so that they have an understanding about how these laws are applied in practice. And so there's something there for election officials, but there's something there certainly for, for observers as well. Um, all right, fantastic, great uh, insight. Uh, just real quick, I got about thirty seconds, David. Anything else that you're watching, or things that we should be thinking about uh, that would be helpful in just restoring and strengthening that trust uh, in our own election process? So, you know, something I touched on at the at the top board. I think we need to be continuing to think about what we can do to support. Right and bolster our election officials. Uh, obviously, there was uh, a recent polling that came out that suggested that I think it was one in five election officials, right, may, may choose to step down before 2024 due to the toxic mix of threats, harassment, and abuse they faced. And I think you know, elected leaders have an obligation to stick up for them. Voters have an obligation to stick up for them, um, as does the rest of society. And whether that means, um, you know serving as a poll worker to help election officials or helping to pass legislation, for example, right? Um, so that maybe election officials, for example, would be more easily able to keep some of their information offline um, or provide more funding to election officials so that they can put in some of the security enhancements that can help ensure the protection of them and their colleagues. Um, you know, they were the key to a successful 2020 election. And considering the current climate, um, you know, I would venture to say that they're even more critical uh, to these upcoming 2022 elections. Fantastic. David Levine, Elections Integrity Fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy in Washington, D.C. Great insight there. We've got to have confidence in the process. These are some real practical, tactical, common sense solutions that I think would help everybody say, yeah, that's a good process. We can have confidence in the results. And it will take both sides of the political aisle turning down the rhetoric uh, that losing does not mean something went wrong from an integrity standpoint in terms of elections. And that's up to all of us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.